What's up, fam? Welcome back to That's the Angle. Before we get into this interview with Gregory Michaels, just wanted to let you know that you can watch this very interview on YouTube so you can see what I look like. You can see what him and all of his stylish glory epicness looks like and just kind of get a vibe for it. Some people like watching more than they like listening. Some people like listening more than they like watching completely up to you. And besides that, guys, uh, this podcast doesn't have a sponsor. So if you're interested, that would be cool. Let me know. It's uh, just shoot me an email at thebrucealan at gmail.com and maybe we can work something out. Maybe we can't. Not not going to be trying to sell a vacuum or anything like that. But if it aligns with the podcast and the photography and the brand and all that stuff, hey, let's make it happen. Anyways, guys, uh, Gregory Michaels is a Arbitor Elegantarium. And I still don't know if I'm saying that right, but it sounds hella good. Basically, it means he knows way more about style and menswear and fashion than you do. But not in a very stuck-up way, just in a way because the guy studies that. It's his craft. It's it's his life's passion at this point in time. And uh, it was just it was just a fun interview uh, talking to someone who's so deep into what they do. And in his instance, it suits in that whole world. So, guys, hope you enjoy this interview. Um, I think anyone will find this interesting. You don't have to be a dude who, like, suits anyone. We talk about way more than just suits. You'll love this. Enjoy. Set so they don't pick up the opera. Got it. And, like, the weird artist noises over there. I normally speak really softly, so this one I'm going to really try to make sure. Oh, no, you don't have to. Good. Dude, it's cool, man. Uh, the, the, the amount of audio engineering I do on this thing. You could whisper and it would sound just like you're talking normal. Perfect. Yeah, it's it's, it's people that shout who are like, "Yo, what's up?" Like, and that's what clips your mic, and then that's what hey, you know about all that. Yep. But mm-hmm. it's cool, man. If that's your energy, then keep that energy. I'm with it. <laughs> all right, guys. So welcome back to that's the angle. And today I am joined here with Gregory Michael. How you doing, sir? It's very much a pleasure to be here. Yeah, man. Thanks for coming on, dude. It was cool meeting you the other day. Yes, that was invigorating. We, we, we got to be careful. We can't talk much about that. We can't talk much about that. Because it's going to come out before that. That is true. Yeah. We have to be very specific with yeah. what it is we say. Yeah, I have to be very careful. But it was, it, was so, it was so cool meeting you because literally the first thing I said when I met you, I was like, damn, your facial hair looks way better in person. I try really hard at it. So, of course, big, big thank yous and everything to Faded Beard, Dandy Candy Mustache Wax for that one. So they were able to get me right. But it's been a 10-year ten ten process, really. Behind the facial hair? Yes. Dude, I mean, process. when I saw it, it, was, it looked like you had maybe ironed it or something or smoothed it out, and it was like the stash was long and curled. And then you, like, this is for people who are listening and don't see how epic Greg looks. And, <laughs> and like, you have, like, your... You're you're so patched, like long and twisted, and your beard. Dude, it's it's. What do you call this facial hairstyle? Dude? Well, this is so. Know, it's, I guess I would sick. call it the Greg Michael. But uh, <laughs> I've just, never seen this. There's a funny story about this one, right? People ask me all the time. I get stopped on the street. Mm-hmm. People just will sit there and be in awe or aghast or however it is that you care to express yourself. Just walking to Starbucks that morning, yeah. you know. But um, people ask me all the time, where did this come from? How did you come up with this idea? The truth of the matter is, aside from any long yarn that I would spin to really kind of get that person to yeah, open like up. cool story or whatever. Yeah. No, not at all. I mean, of course, I'll create something on the fly, you know, just to get them to open up a little bit. Just general icebreaker. But So how did it get to this point? Then? I just didn't shave one day. <laughs> <laughs> I just truly, this is what happened. One day, I just really didn't feel like addressing anything when it came to, you know, facial hair. Because it grows really fast, but this really just all over the place, you know? And one day, the middle part here, 
just got a little long. And I was just like, hmm, I wonder what would happen if I just let this go for like another two, three weeks. Like so, everything? No, not even everything. At first, this mustache started just here in the middle. So, and I had this micro handlebar mustache <laughs> that was just ridiculously long, but only right here in the middle of my face, right? And I was just like, let me see how this plays out, you know? Started playing around with it, twisting it, styling it a couple of different ways, and just literally having fun with your facial hair at this point. And it just kept going. Dude, it literally looks like you have tons of fun with your facial hair, man. Oh, man, shoot. The, the three hours that I spend in the morning to be able to address it, nah. Like this, this shit is, whoa, 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 three hours every morning? Three hours, man. This is a process. To, to twist and to just sort of like line up. What? When I sit here and do this stash, breaking it completely down for you. I, I'm, I'm curious. 45 on one side, 45 on the other. This right here takes about 20. And if I put the two curls in this as well, too, that's another hour. Damn. And do you put like beeswax in there? Or what do you do? Either be, It depends on what's going on. Like in the wintertime, a good pomade, that right there is ideal. Because especially because it's so cold outside in D.C. winters, okay, it'll like flash freeze it and you'll get that <laughs> right type of stiffness. <laughs> like icicles coming up. I've actually had that happen. A trip to <laughs> Chicago, It because I just literally did it on a plane. I came out... Like it just completely froze, like ice cold, and there was a little icicle from it, and everything. I just ran with it. <laughs> Why <laughs> you know, not at that exactly. point? You know, so it matched the suit and everything too. You know, I was like, fine, we're good. But yeah, it's a long process, man. And you know, the style and curling to be able to get this right, and sometimes you get it wrong, and then that's an entire day. Bro, there has to be some experimentation going on there, man. So much, man. <clears throat> but but the reason I bring it up is just because like you're you have just such a unique look, and something like that does not happen overnight. Mm. And you're not a blogger, no. Not at all. Not a blogger, not an influencer. I am just a simple arbiter. So, mm. What does that mean? What does arbiter mean? Well, Arbiter Elegante Arm, which would be the title that it is that through so much of my endeavors and many, many hours, I've earned through a hard way. An Arbiter Elegante Arm is a judge and a purveyor of style. He allows an individual to be coached and developed in the art of Satoria, specifically in my field, but it's a gauge and judge of elegance as a whole. I'm just as uh -huh. adept of telling you the history behind the Lincoln Continental as much as I would your Glenfiddich whiskey if you wanted that or, you know, your double-breasted 4-2 tweed suit. So you're, you like a, you're like a samurai of, of menswear elegance or yes. like elegance and, or men's, like what is... I'm, that would be a great way of putting it. In fact, I might have to take that from you. Samurai, samurai <laughs> of <laughs> menswear elegance. I love that one. That's but, perfect. But you're not... Uh, style influence, like you're not a blogger. No, not at all. So to be honest, there's so many other proficient people that are in this field, especially in DC, that can sit here and talk about what happened on the Oscars or what was going on and everything in Milan. I have to dole in so deeply to my craft that being a part of the blogosphere is difficult, you know? Mm. It's just so difficult just on a daily basis to create content. I don't really come from that, I guess, creative space per se. A lot of what it is that I do is very technical. So I curate our regalia of cloth in our location. And you have to have an encyclopedic knowledge of cloth weight, twill, Drape. I mean, dude, just seeing you work the other day with <clears throat> whatever it was we were doing that we have signed NDAs and I'm not going to talk about. <laughs> Your knowledge about just, 
And I was like, yeah, just act like you're, you're doing a normal suit consultation. And I was just, you were actually doing it and you weren't, we weren't just like saying bullshit words. You were literally talking about it. I'm just like, whoa, like yeah. it, it's, in, it's insane. But I want to go back to the Arbiter Elegant, Elegant, Arbiter Elegantiarum. Yep. Wow. It sounds like I just said a Harry Potter uh, <laughs> spell right there. But dude, that is so cool because this is not like a suit style blogger. Like this is like, you're that guy who gives people like, that's why I give someone that menswear style Mm -hmm. gives you the smart look a purposeful look Uh serious style that is timeless utilitarian powerful distinct Mm. all of these things present you in the room completely differently it allows you to be taken seriously and it gives you presence it allows your clothing if we may to speak for what it is that you're about and what it is that you're trying to achieve so what does that what does that look like how does that how does being an arbiter work on like a day-to-day basis? On a day-to-day basis, I say this pretty often. I spend 23 days in a month preparing for four days of work. Well, you know, and it's very variable. It really depends on the individual that comes into us. You have guys that are, you know, dandies in the spirit of Bo Brummel. And then you have your congressman or your constituent or your lawyer who is really drab. You know, they wear the same navy charcoal or gray suit and a single breasted two button every day. And we're talking suits here. Yeah, we're talking suits here, yeah. you know, and they don't really get extravagant with it. You know, to to really present them with a window pane would be just like, OK, this is pushing the envelope a little bit for me. Yeah, you could not throw what you're wearing on one of those guys like no. you're. Yeah, it's no. <laughs> they would bars up here. But for you, it's like but it's like for, but for that customer, it's like, OK, you see me. I am that sort of style masterpiece icon like that thing that you're not going to want to do mm-hmm. but let me tone it down for you exactly and even with that i gauge my audience extremely well mm. like whoever it is that you meet you have to make it relative and that's the difference between the fashion and style industry per se one if you're working in timeless elegance serious tutorial style you have to match your audience you know there may be a day where i have somebody that really wants to see those crazy madras or he really yeah. does want to see like you know the wildest floral and paisley prints and you want to emulate that so it becomes relative and palatable to them on the other side of it you don't want to go to a fortune 500 ceo wearing a, a bengal stripe in purple and gold what is a bengal stripe not too different than what i have here but just imagine if these were just solid stripes so those, it's like it's it's like a blue and white stripe, but the white stripe has blue stripes in it. Yes, exactly. Ah, so I'm, I'm, extremely I, thick. I, so. I had to break it down for people listening. They can't they can't see your your your, your swag right now. So I appreciate. And you it. said this was an Ocean's Eleven suit. This was inspired by Rusty Ryan from Ocean's Eleven. Yes, it's a Brad great did. movie. It has a great movie. I love that movie. What scene was he wearing that suit? Well, actually, it's not something directly inspired. Oh, him. It's okay, more okay. so about who he was. Mm. So Brad Pitt in Ocean's Eleven. Okay was extremely savvy. His savoir faire at every point, it was, he was never off kilter. Nothing really unsettled him. He always had the right thing to say. He was always poised in his moment, okay? There was a scene, I, I love this movie, by the way. And it's a classic that, for me. I grew up on that movie. Yes, yes. So, and when they remade everything, it was just, I, I love it, you know? But the one thing that always really stuck out to me is just how aloof, Brad Pitt was in Ocean's Eleven with his style. Mm. And that's really what you want to capture in this business. It wants to look like you didn't try at all, even if you spent all day 
trying to put together a look. Mm. It's not meant to be forced. It's meant to be a natural expression of who you are, an afterthought, completely casual in the way it is that you approach it because it's something that is innate to you. And even if it's not, there's ways for us to be able to build that. In so, you. so you should be able to match someone with a suit that is ex- essentially an extension of themselves. Yes, exactly. It doesn't look like, why are they wearing that? Or it doesn't look off kilter. It looks like something they would have chosen that fits them perfectly. And that right there is where the art comes in. Mm. I have dialogue with individuals so much. Like before we even sit down and have a consultation, yeah. I just sit down and ask you three simple questions, you know? What colors are you drawn to, for example? Mm-hmm. You know, how do you want to be represented in the room as far as your core values? You know, what types of things are outlandish to you? What type of things are dear, dear to you? You know, understanding who that person is directs me in where I need to go as far as how they need to be dressed. And then their input brought into the consultation yeah. really allows us to create something that is truly unique. But versatility utilitarianism and purpose is extremely important. That makes a lot of sense because I don't think most guys even own a suit, let alone could answer questions like what kind of fit, what kind of cut, what kind of buttons, what kind of, you know, so when you ask these questions are more like personality questions, it, it helps way more than I guess than those other ones. Right. Exactly. Guys will come in a lot of times, especially if they're new to the environment and they just hop right into, well, I need this suit for, okay, would you like a drink? (laughs) <laughs> you know, we have these whiskey lockers here for a, win- for a reason, you know. So, by the way, Stitch Life in MGM National Harbor. So, Oh, yeah, that, that is where you are the arbiter. That is true. That nice. is true. So, beautiful place. The home of Las Vegas authenticity, gentlemanly candor with subtle hints of a reference. That is what it is we espouse within the Stitch Lifestyle brand. It feels like so many things you have said a thousand times. Like, you just say them so eloquently or just even if you say them off the top of your dome, like, you say them so well. Practice. <laughs> so being polished is another effort as well, too. So, But this is natural. This is authentic. This yeah. right here. Oh, no, 100%. Right. 100%. You know, and you make me feel comfortable, especially yeah. being in this platform. So that's the part that really makes this so much easier. So It's interesting that you're at the MGM. That seems like such a random spot because it's like, it's like this really nice hotel resort casino right, on, right off the bridge between Maryland and Virginia. Mm-hmm. And like inside there is where you are. It's so nuts. For me... I grew up in Fort Washington, so I remember when what we call National Harbor was just an extension of either Fort Washington if you went north or yeah. Oxon Hill if you went south. Oh, so, you, so you're from the area? I'm from the area. Oh, the house right. I grew up in as a child is three minutes from the casino. I can walk to it. <laughs> my grandmother's house on both sides of my family are north or south, five minutes down the street. So so I imagine you didn't come out the womb wearing a suit and, and having insane style. Like how How did you get into the whole suit and arbiter industry. Like, you know, I'm actually glad that you said that because that is in itself a long story. Yeah, let's do it. The truth of the matter is it goes down into a core value that it is that I have. When it comes to sartorialism. Which sartorialism is exactly what? Sartorialism is the art of fine tailored clothing. Mm, and it doesn't okay. have to be just suits. No, not at all. You understanding your body, you understanding it and you understanding comfortability mm. and being able to express yourself uniquely through your clothing and it being personalized to you, having appreciation for the elements that come in practice when it comes to fine tailoring, you know, having an understanding of drape, having an understanding of fit, proportion, 
how these colors and how these patterns play off of each other and okay. enhanced levels of styling. So, yeah. But most importantly, have an appreciation for tailoring as a whole mm-hmm. and understanding your body and how it fits in clothing, no matter what that clothing may be, mm. casual, athleisure, sport, suits, however. So, But um, one really critical point about it is, is that these types of things are not native to people anymore. The workplace itself has changed. You don't need a two or three piece suit now to work it's, for it's, some of the biggest companies. It's not the norm. Companies. It's not. You know, Mark Zuckerberg, for example. Okay, you, you come in jeans and a t-shirt to jeans Facebook. Jeans and a t-shirt. It is a desert eagle to what it is that I do. <laughs> okay, <laughs> because that seems like where a lot of your the business perhaps would have came from. Yes, but the the workplace has changed so dramatically. And then on the other side of it, you have a lot of things available as far as fast fashion is concerned. Yeah, where people go for a look but they don't understand what that look represents. You know, people, and I see it all the time, you know, completely disregard proportion, completely disregard their size. They just are going for what it is they saw on TV or what it is that they saw on social media or in a pictorial ad. It's like if you're six, seven, okay, you probably can't wear the same thing as a model that is almost a foot smaller than you. Yeah. Exactly the same way. It won't, it won't fit the same way. It won't right. drape the same way. Everything. Just account for it to you. Yeah. You know, that's all it is that you really have to do. But more importantly, some things were not ever meant to look or feel that way. I, everybody has seen the over tight suit. Oh, right. It's like we came from that. I mean... I'm probably wrong here, but we came from that where suits weren't fitted and then now everything became fitted, like that time when jeans became a little tighter mm-hmm. and everything became tighter when people at school were like, yo, looking mad young to whatever you were wearing. And then and then now it's like those same guys are rocking the same tight pants, but they're still hanging below their butt. But like, but it, it's cool for things to fit tight, but when is it too tight, I guess is what you're saying. Well, that's the thing. I'm glad you said that. When is it too tight? When it's too tight. If you can't put your foot through your leg opening, then you made a mistake. I always <laughs> thought it was like too tight or too small. It's like you lifted your arms and you had a belly shirt. Well, that too as well, but also realistically. And that's the thing. We, we live in a real world, mm-hmm. especially when it comes to Satori. We live in a real world. Would you be, you know, lifting your arms up and doing jumping jacks in a three-piece suit? Mm, no. 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 So realistically, it's not meant to give you that type of mobility where you can go climb an alpha tower It's like, a, it's like a confined elegance in a way. Yes, to a degree. But you still should be able to shake somebody's hand without your jacket sleeve ending up at your elbow, mm. you know? You should be able to sit down and your seams are not going to split or your fabric is not stressed because the garment's so tight. You should be able to... Be comfortable. Mm-hmm. And that's what's important. Comfort. This whole business is built around comfort. And somewhere along the line, that message got skewed. I thought fashion was pain, though. Fashion is. Style is not. Ooh. You know? <laughs> I can sit here and completely relate with somebody that's going to sit in front of, with, with a look. Yeah. Sit in front of a halogen lamp for 12 hours just to be able to capture a certain pose and slight changes in their facial expression and body, et cetera, et cetera. The best response that I get from any content as I put out is me walking down the street wearing exactly what it is I'm wearing to work, to the coffee shop, to anything. I'm not posing. I'm talking to somebody and the camera's just going off. 
you know. And a lot of the sartorialists in the city do that as well, too. They may strike a pose every now and again, but it's not a pose. It's not something that you're going to see down Vogue. They're just standing or they're sitting or they're drinking coffee. They're it's very out natural. Anything they do looks good in a weird way because the fashion looks And that's something I've noticed as a photographer is that when the styling is that good, when the clothes are wearing is that good, it's an art. You know, this yes. clothes and fashion is art. When it's that good, they can literally just fucking stand there. Right. And it looks good. They could look dead. Like it could be a zombie wearing those clothes, but it will look good. And you know what that is? Authenticity. Mm. This business is all about authenticity. Completely naturally. Every suit that it is you've ever seen me in, I own. Damn. Okay. I wish I could say the same thing. Well, very soon we will, because I'm appreciating the report that we have. So I think the gift is in order. So. Oh, man, don't get me excited here. Oh, no, I, no, I, 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 I expect nothing. I know that stuff costs money. And my basic ass is wearing a pullover, bro. But even with that being said, it still looks good because it's you. Mm. Authenticity. I can throw a simple hopset sport coat on you right now, okay? And it's still you because it's your look, okay? Your hair, the scruff, everything. It's authentic to you. You're not meant to look like a supermodel when you're living your life under your terms wearing what you're comfortable in. And that also gives you power, you know? The way that you present yourself, the way you poke your chest out, the way it well, is. A, a, suit, a suit is very powerful, like a well-fitting suit. Like there's something about it that kind of changes your psyche a little bit. You kind of feel like your dick grew a little bit. Like hey. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even lying. Like, like yes. I, it's like, it's like I, the, the few times I do get to wear them in a year, it's like you just feel an extra air of like I make double my income or mm-hmm. like it, you just feel good. And you know a power suit can definitely do that for you, but the thing about it is is that where does that power really come from? Does it really come from the garment? Or does it come from your perceptions of what it is that you're being looked at or how you're interacting with people in that garment? Oh, it's the perceptions. It's like you feel like you're better than your old self or something like that. Like you're you're an enhanced or refined version in in a way. It's still an expression of you, though. It still, at core, comes from you. Very true. Yes. So it's just giving another level of depth to yourself, mm. you know, because at the end of the day, you chose it, you know, you're wearing it. Only you can wear it the way that you're wearing it. It's just a further extension of your own grandiosity. Okay. Yeah. So, so how, so how, how did you get into what you do now? Oh, so yes, I did kind of go on a tangent. So, oh no, that's the, that's the best kinds, man. It's the conversation. <laughs> I, I'm not, this is not like an AB interview. We can go anywhere, baby. Love it, man. Love it. When I got into this industry, I did not have a true, I truly did not have an understanding of proper fit. So a great individual who I will thank for the entirety of my life, the entirety of my career, Christina Bedwell, actually, was one of my customers mm-hmm. when I was working in territory management. Okay. She just stopped into my location one day. We did the experience that you normally do in, in the sales and in a marketing field. And she was like, you know, you dress so well. So even then you yes. were. Now, I didn't understand why. And I didn't oh. understand how. And I didn't understand I was that guy that wore suspenders with the belt. You know, I'm not the guy that uh, had the matching uh, shoes and everything to my belt. Or, you know, I would go with sometimes because I'm a slim guy. You know, I had an overly tight shirt every now and again. But, you know, it was stylish. But she was like, you dress so well. And you're charismatic. Mm -hmm. And 
okay, I'm charismatic. I, I don't believe my own hype, <laughs> but yeah, okay, you're charismatic. You know how to be able to speak with an individual. You know how to be able to market yourself as well as your brand. I think you should really look at this. And at that time, that was Jay Hilburn. So, which is what Jay Hilburn is a made to measure company, which okay. excels in being able to provide you with a truly tailored experience on your terms and in your convenience. So mm. I was an independent personal stylist with Jay Hilborn for many years. Oh, so, so that, that was like your first mm-hmm. foray into the fashion world. Yes, absolutely. So there, a Jay Hilborn stylist, for example, would come to your house or your office completely on your terms, making a completely convenient view and bring everything, swatches, shirting, examples, sport coats, things for you to try on, do your fitting right there in your office or the comfort of your own home, completely on your terms as a personal concept. Was that a relatively new idea back then? Back then, yes, very much so. Yeah, because I feel like this whole personal style thing is kind of a new way that everyone's sort of doing now, but maybe back then it, mm-hmm. it, it was, I feel like it was way more like men's warehouse, get something that generally fits mm-hmm. you and didn't get the hell out. And that's what people really stopped doing is that the customer changed. Millennials, Gen Xers, they wanted convenience. They wanted a better look. They didn't want to look like their fathers, for example. True. You know, but that also came with the lack of understanding of why their father looked the way they are, which is where you get into the higher levels of business where I am now. But back to that. Yes, it became about convenience. It became about options. It became about a better look. It became about a more structured look. And it became about something that they could identify with their generation. Okay. You know, so... You would sit there, you would go, and you would have that consultation in the convenience of somebody's home or, you know, wherever it is that they want. It could be in a coffee shop. I mean, yeah. you just meet them downtown. Wherever they're comfortable. Right. Or, you know, like, for example, in a studio. Yeah. Know, so. Wherever. And just go through the motions. Yeah. You know, go through everything. And the most important part about it was is that it took away that uncomfortability. Of being in like a, like a suit shop and mm-hmm. having to mm-hmm. know everything. And when they ask your measurements, no one ever knows. Right. And furthermore, you can't feel like you're being sold if you invited somebody into your own house, you know? Mm, it's very true. You're kind of in the snake pit when you're in like a tailoring shop or they measure you kind of like you have to get something. Right? right. You know, like a lot of people feel uncomfortable or back then, especially not so much now, but a lot of people back then felt uncomfortable being in a traditional retail environment. In fact, it didn't even appeal to a lot of millennials because their life is on the go, you know? Mm. Their pursuits and their interests are completely different, you know? Tension span is a lot shorter, Very you know? true. But you can't feel like you're being sold or you're being pressured into a sale or you're being pushed in a certain direction when you had to invite this person into your house. You had to tell them the time that it was good for them to be able to come through. You have to have some type of rapport with this person before you even got to that Next, point. In your house. You're right. You're, you're, you're in that person's house. It becomes a conversation at that point. It's like... Dealing with an old so, friend. So you were doing that? Yes. Oh, wow. And that was the, the important part about it is that it took away that anxiety. You know, it allowed a man to be a man, mm. how he defines it. And then you talk about how you just enhance it. It was completely egoless. It's really interesting that you say that allows a man to be a man. But like m- most he- super hetero straight men would assume that like going that far for a suit, it's gay. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, I, I'm sure you get those remarks too. Oh boy. Like, like mm-hmm. I'm sure people assume you're, you're just sucking every dick. He's I know, right? <laughs> I, don't <laughs> say, I don't know how to say it, but like, I don't know how to say it, but like, like, like the days where I dress even a little nicer, people are like, Oh, are you gay? Like, I'm like, dude, a, what a straight dude can't dress nice. A straight dude can't wear a suit. Can't, 
can't style their facial hair without. I'm actually glad you brought that up, right? Because as you guys can see, these nails are immaculately done. So, are they, and are those yes. coated too? Oh yes, That's to a high degree. Those look nice, and this man. pompadour, I don't know how many individuals my tone you see with a pompadour this elegant. Thank you, uppercut gents, Mel B the barber, by hey. the way. Hey, <laughs> so, you know. But that's the thing, is that, yes, perception in a lot of times can be reality, mm -hmm. you know, but that's the thing, is that you define it by things that you do and don't do, but it starts a conversation, you know? I have a stove top, stove or top hat right over here sitting, in, I mean, I'm walking down the street in the CVS, I'm just getting a bag of Lay's potato chips, okay? And the entire energy and attention in the aisle is just completely focused around me. And I'm just like, how you doing? <laughs> yeah, that, that's, that's really interesting dynamic. Cause even walking with you, I started to feel way. I'm like, I'm like, damn, I'm with this guy who looks so different than me. Like, this is really interesting. And it starts conversations, but you'll get a lot of different things. You know, first being honest at this level of the industry, I've had more inquiries into my personal life. Of course, and, I'm sure. Know, et cetera, than anything else. And I'd be like, really? Um, a lot of propositioning. So like that, like, oh, or just like, <laughs> you want to grab a drink? <laughs> The thing about it is, is that uh, it gets interesting sometimes, but I, I just really get inquisitive. I'm like, really? Um, wasn't getting that two years ago. I'm, what's changed? Please tell me, like, what is it that I'm projecting out here that makes it that way? But, you know, people have narrow understandings, you know, people categorize things a lot. It allows them to be comfortable, mm -hmm. you know? I, but you also look so different than everyone walking around the street. I don't think if, if you weren't here today, I don't think I had to see anyone in my day to day who sticks out as much as you do. You know, it's, it's so it, it makes you inquisitive to like, why is this dude in a perfectly fit suit with a pattern that's crazy with hair on his body? that's perfectly like it's it's just like, do you get that? Like it's it's so mm -hmm. eye catching and so different than our norm. And it starts a conversation. And I have met so many vibrant individuals. Okay, professional and personally, mm -hmm. just because we're walking down the street, they notice something or I notice something and it makes the icebreaker that easy. Really? You know, I use it as a networking tool. You know, I tell people all the time whenever they come into my shop or when I'm walking down the street is that, hey, this made you come and talk to me, right? We probably would have never had this type of interaction. It's if really interesting when you look at it from that perspective that it's, it attracts people to you mm -hmm. to, to start talking to you. Mm -hmm. And you need that. You know, I don't consider myself, I don't consider myself the most boisterous individual in the world. I just am, you know, but I'm not overtly outgoing. At least I don't think so. I know I'm going to turn it on, of course, if necessary in my profession, yeah. but, you know, I like discourse, you know? So anything that allows me to aid in that, especially if we're talking about garments that do have a certain level of prestige and do definitely have a certain price point, <laughs> It just helps for anything that can start that conversation mm -hmm. and being in this creative space too, because the lifestyle element of my business is very vast and very broad as well too. So, you know, creative, like for example, with you, you mm -hmm. know, this platform never happened if I wasn't in this industry looking away. That's very interesting. Yeah. If, if, if you didn't, even if you knew everything you knew, but if you didn't look this way, look how you do and present yourself right. the way you do, I might not have asked you to be on here. Right. There's no, there's no intrinsic draw. Yeah, you know? but, but looking at you, it's like I can tell that there's something there because the way you choose to dress uh, yourself is, is so distinct that there has to be something there that someone is so confident enough to present themselves this way. And it creates attention. It creates 
a great way to be able to spin media. It starts a conversation. It draws attention to whatever platform it is you're on. It helps move the needle. That's interesting. It's it, in a way. It's you. You almost start to realize it like it's a tool in a, mm-hmm. in a positive way. Like. Mm-hmm. You almost make me want to dress up more and wear more like iconic things. So it's like maybe someone could come up to me like, yo, what's up? Like, And then there it is, that moment that you have right there, mm-hmm. right? Now it stops becoming about Greg Michael or stops becoming about the Stitch lifestyle. It becomes about Bruce Allen experience. Mm. And then that, for me, takes on so much more depth. That takes on so much more character. And that is so much more invigorating than anything that is I may produce. And that's where the magic happens. That's where truly I get the appreciation. Because when it becomes about Bruce Allen, it becomes something that I can't conceive. It, it evolves in front of you, you know? Mm-hmm. And then we explore together, you know? As a guy, maybe, or even if you just completely just take off in this realm, it creates something well beyond my imagination, you know, mm. and it imprints upon you just like anything else. This experience for me, for example, will imprint upon me dramatically because this will be a first, you know. That's an interesting concept, the whole idea of imprinting on someone. Seems like something you've thought about a lot. Yes. I get really introspective at times, so, yeah. you know, providing whiskey, of course, my surround makes that a lot more. I know, man. I, w- I wish I had... A bunch of whiskey and like it's okay, we will do that again. Yeah, we'll make sure we have that everything. So I am your consummate concierge. So. Don't uh, don't worry, man. I'm I'm working on it. Like the the dream for this podcast one day would have like its own like room, almost like Joe Rogan's, where it's like this cool room with like knickknacks. It feels like you're in someone's basement, like a little smoky. You could smoke a cigar, you could drink. Like and Joe Rogan's a funny person, man. Oh, oh my god, god. his comedy show was hilarious. Oh, you saw him? Yes. You saw him do comedy? Yes, it was priceless. His skit on Brock Lesnar had me on the floor. <laughs> on the floor. I don't okay. think I heard that one. I, I've only seen his recent special. I haven't seen him live or anything. Oh, my God, man. So, I'm not, of course, I'm not going to get all into it. Yeah, yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? But <laughs> this is a person that spent some time around this person, okay? Like, he's angry. <laughs> he's angry in Brock Lesnar's tone and voice doing something and saying something that you could really see Brock Lesnar doing, okay? <laughs> like, he's sitting thing. over there, like, and it was so funny. He's like, he asked him a question and everything. He's just like, what? <laughs> I haven't eaten today. What'd you say about me? You know, it's just like all these type of things. You can see, like, Brock being angry like that because that's what you, is you think of him as a UFC fighter. As a, Hell yeah, like, you imagine champion. Brock Lesnar being this giant dude walking around just like, get the fuck out of my way. Right, he can sit over there and hump you if you wanted to. Dude, the guy's got a, 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 a have you seen his chest tattoo? Yep. It's like a Big hand fan. holding a, a, what is it? it? Holding a knife. Right, like, what do you say to Brass that? knuckles on the knife. Like, right in between the pecs, you know? Like, like, like <laughs> you see that, you're like, this guy might snap my neck. Uh, he might do more than that, you know, so <laughs> might he might just you. take pieces of each one and everything and like knit a sweater out of what's yeah. left of you. So, and that was, that's just so funny. And Joe Rogan is relatable. He's relatable. That's why his platform is so successful. Dude, he's, he's the voice of the people. I honestly think, I think he's a new voice of the people. I was I watching his, did you see what he was doing yesterday? Mm. Dude, he had on Jack Dorsey, the CEO of Twitter, the person, the, they're like lawyer, legal person slash like person who makes uh, up the, the rules and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then they had this guy named Tim Poole, who is uh, a journalist who's calling them out about their like leftist bias. And I was like, oh. I was like, this is insane. Like these are conversations that you don't get on the news. And they're intense. Dude, I mean, 
the Tim Tim Pool just completely made amazing points that were on everybody's mind. Right. And you're just like, thank you. Like and it's stuff you can't say in a traditional mainstream way. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes it so invigorating. But, but it's like but, you gotta be there. It, but even this, like, yes. like uh, that's why I love this because we can have these open conversations and I can have someone like you on the podcast and we can just talk about like how the hell you became this person or how the hell is what you do like in your ideas on stuff. Oh, well, with that being said, going further into that, became a Jay Hilburn independent personal stylist. And I just complete, after I had my first, you know, training introduction and everything mm-hmm. else, it just blew my mind. What I understood about clothing, completely unsatisfactory to what it is that the business was, mm-hmm. you know? I forever was just going in, and I've been this size for the most part pretty much my whole life. I'm sitting here in a jacket is way too big, doesn't fit in the shoulders, you know? I have no mastery really of color, you know? I'm putting things together or whatever in patterns that are just conflictory with each other, you know? All these different things that just don't work. And opening up that, exposing yourself to more knowledge, you know, just gave you so much more perspective. And it like was, it was just like a light bulb went off. And I just dove into it, you know? Really? I, I, yeah, really, you know? I, like, unlocked the creative fashion tutorialism so, in you? So much so. Because you have a foundation at that point, you know? It opens you up to a completely different world. And the thing about it is, is that this business, this industry hasn't changed dramatically, aside from the new bespoke movement that happened around the 50s, you know? It hasn't really changed in 2,700 years. A suit, for example, is coming from a military garment, you know? All, really? Yes. So any business suit that you have or suit is in general is either for military-inspired regalia, watered down everything for everyday use, or hunting regalia, watered down everything for functionality and any exploit that's not hunting. You know, it's all inspired and everything by the formality of a military garment. So you're saying the idea of you, like what you're wearing now came from that? Yes. Whoa. It's just a amalgamation or, you know, watering down of standard military. Regalia. Do you know how that happened by any chance? Like necessity. how that sort of transitioned really? Complete necessity. So uniformity is something that you'll see a lot, especially when you get to the higher levels of this, you know, mm-hmm. the reason we have black tie, for example, is to oh, yeah, black express tie conformity. It does feel like a very conforming thing everybody is in a black suit tuxedo okay everybody has the exact same satin or gross grain lapel okay you're wearing a bow tie a lot of times whether it be a wing collar or if it's a spread collar you know maybe you have a cummerbund maybe you don't everybody has a bib okay (laughs) but that's the thing that conformity is unilateral it's an aesthetic that's meant to be maintained and it also takes away any type of uh power dynamic in a room. That is true. I noticed that. Dude, that's interesting you said because I was literally thinking about this experience I recently had where I had a rent a suit, of course, mm-hmm. and um, it was a black tie function. And so my uncle, uh, he owns a construction company. They make a lot of money. Solid. He, he intertwines or he mixes with a lot of the big boys, mm-hmm. people who make a lot of money. And so this is one of those dinners where it's like, you pretty much donate a lot of money to get a table and show face. And, 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 that, and that's, that's what it was. What it this, is. this is in DC, right? And yeah. so, and so it, that conformity in the, 
it, how you said it kind of evens the power level playing field. Like it really felt like that. Like mm-hmm. no one knew who you couldn't tell by how you were dressed, who I was, how much money I made, how much money that made, who the boss was, who CEO. And don't get me wrong. You could tell by someone's swag, mm-hmm. you know, if they own something, but like, uh, what, what were you going to say about that? No, no, I'm saying that there it is. Yeah. There and there. It becomes about who you really are at that point. Mm. Okay. It becomes about who you are. Complete equity, you know, completely equidistant from the next person all the way around. They're, they're forced to talk to you. They're forced to see what you're about because oh, you look just like this guy. Because they can't like judge you just by how you look. No, you know, now when it comes down to certain things, especially if you're, you know, fairly nuanced, you know, you can tell somebody's suit that's better than the other one if you know what to look for. Of course. But in essence, everybody's in black. Yep. Everybody's black tie. Yep. So it becomes about your personality. And like you said, nobody knew if, hey, you were the CEO of this or you were a magnanimous person that until you opened your mouth, you know? Then you can kind of estimate who this person is. Exactly. So with that, the experience that I had with joining Jay Hilburn, for example, Mm -hmm. it just opened me up to how you have a smart look and how you create something that is going to be as rakishly elegant. 20 years from now, 30 years from now, 50 years from now, as the day it is you bought it. Mm. And that's where this really becomes special is because style doesn't change or is not subject to trend as much as the fashion industry is. Yeah, style and fashion trends are yeah, 1%, mm. two different things. Totally. You can create something today. I'll be able to wear this when I'm 50. True. You know? Now, yes, do I have certain embellishments that take advantage of the modernity and you know my age etc etc your personal taste will change it which might have been influenced by the recent fashions or whatever but like but it doesn't change how good it looks still Mm. you can break out and that's where the whole thrifting thing really comes into play as well now too which is thrifting is crazy now it is crazy how does that come into play in your industry well mainly because that same tweed jacket that was made in the 30s is still just as stylish as it would be today it still looks pretty good most and of the time too. yes it's, it's it's exceptionally well crafted and it's been taken care of and i can throw that on right now i can go out here and you know hit busboys and poets or go down to city center and hmm, wow that's put together it's appropriate it's never going anywhere mm. and that's why thrifting just blew up especially recently because Dude, this yeah. stuff is great. I feel like thrifting's had a huge resurgence recently. Huge. I don't know how much it has in your industry in the uh, like menswear, fine menswear. What, what is the right term for it? That's well, yes, fine, finer menswear. Yeah, work. yeah. In that industry, I guess it's the same. The same way, it maybe has resonated with like streetwear and t-shirts and all that mm-hmm. stuff. I truly do believe that my industry is in the resurgence of it. It being so much in the forefront is what has allowed thrifting to really blossom the way that it is. Really? Because period. If I go find some Harris tweed, okay, that authentic, authentically done Harris tweed, okay, that was from like, you know, the 50s and everything, this older, thinner guy and everything that's about my build, mm-hmm. ended up having it created, you know, just on a whim somehow, and it fits me, then it has a heritage behind it. It has a story behind it. It's still pristine, and it's, the clothing is meant to last that test of time, you know? And that's where you get this stuff from. If you get a 1920s boater, for example, right? That's all the rage when we go into this spring right now, especially for Cherry Blossom Festival. A boulder? Uh, a boater. A boater. A boater yep. jacket? No, no, no. The hat. Oh, what yeah. does that look like? Oh, you know, have you ever seen The Great Gatsby? Yeah. There you go. 
Okay. Now, all through that movie, you know, all through that movie. But that's the thing. If I had an authentic one from the 20s, I still gonna look just as good and everything today. Ah, uh, okay. But I just gotta go find a place that has that somewhere. Maybe I get a great price on it. Probably will get a great price on it, it because how thrifting is. So, so you still go thrifting, I imagine. Actually, I'm no good at it, but I do. I get. Dude, by, here, I'm so trash at thrifting. I, know. I get aggravated too sometimes. Yeah. I, 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 I kind of feel a little poor, and I'm just like, oh, like oh, it smells like like the homeless shelter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah I, mean, I mean, shout out to people who do it. Like my. I have a bunch of friends who have like thrifting companies. I mean, that's such mm-hmm. a hustle. Yeah. But like, I just cannot do it. But on the same token, like I think thrifting, like we said, has come back full swing. Mm-hmm. They're even making new garments look thrifted, which is insane. Yep. But I think a lot of it is because of how the fashion industry has gotten to be. Mm-hmm. Like we've become to this point where we have so much clothes, so much fashion. There's literally warehouses where mm-hmm. you can go and buy by the pound that someone of course someone's going to find a hustle off of it of course something's going to find someone mm-hmm. they like so it's like this huge recycling industry it's 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 nuts and that's a really important theme that one of my friends actually speaks about very very passionately sustainable fashion mm. you know something that's not going to either harm your environment or harm the industry as a whole just you know people go with a trend and create a billion pieces of it but then that trend is over just as quickly as it started and then where's that stuff go you know, it just becomes trash or it just becomes whatever. You know, we're sustainable because this can work for anybody in any type of expression. I mean, it's just, that's just how it is, you yeah. know. And it is timeless because it's not going to go anywhere, you know. Scabal, Dorme, Vitaly Barberas, Kanico, okay. Your Holland and Sherry Claw. These guys have been around for centuries, Okay, centuries milling cloth. You, this is not a fly by night phenomenon. And I've never even heard of most of those people, but they're probably legends, I'm guessing, in your industry. So, uh, completely essential. And that's another thing the name behind the names, which is one thing that Skabal actually goes above and beyond to make sure that they espouse, is that your favorite designers have to get their materials from somewhere. Mm. And that's that, you know? You'd be surprised, and I'm not going to go into all of, you know, the people that use whatever and everything or how certain... Can we do one, though? I'm kind of curious. Of course, of course. So everybody loves Zegna, right? Who? Everybody loves Zegna, right? Yeah. Right. So who is their exclusive cloth distiller? Yeah, who makes makes their fabric? Zegna Skabal. Oh. Everything. They're the ones that weave together everything, that fabric, those textures. Everything, if you're wearing it from Zegna, it's a ball cloth. And I know that's very important, and that's also very kept close to the heart with a lot of these people. Because mm-hmm. when I had uh, Davin on here, who is a shirt designer, or not fashion designer, not to say shirt designer, um, he's so even he's hush-hush who he gets his materials from, who mm-hmm. who he's sourcing from, who's who's where he's washing these things and stuff like that. And so I imagine with suits, it's got to be on a whole nother level. Well, actually, no, because this industry has been around so much, like anybody, like for example, I can sit here and tell you exactly what this is. This right here is a Mars only cloth, okay? Mm-hmm. 1200 class and everything from our M11 collection and everything for their spring, summer 2017. Jesus. You know, at a general cloth weight of about... Eight and one eighth ounces, which okay, is about 220, 230 grams. And you'd be able to find this exact swatch right online or in somebody else's haberdashery, you know, whether it be stitched, whether it be any of the other ateliers that are in the city. And you could make this suit. 
You know, mm-hmm. now that's the thing. At this level, it is well known. It's a lot of transparency. Yes, a lot of transparency. So, but that's also where I guess the versatility comes in. I can hit anybody's front street, which mm-hmm. is what we call a sales floor in business. Mm-hmm. I can hit anybody's front street and still be just as viable as it is in my haberdashery because materials are all the same, fitting is all the same. Just understanding how your construction process is and how it is you go about putting everything together as far as orders is it, it that's it. Yeah, well, in your business, it's like there's many pieces. You have a jacket, a vest, a shirt, a tie, uh, a pant. Like it's not just top and bottom. No, not at all. And there are rules. There are rules, and that's the difference between there's a rules. stylist and an arbiter. For example, I am held to a certain standard. And there's rules that I absolutely have to employ. Whose standard? What, what standard? The order standard. So, for example, I am a member of the Coalition of Designers and Tales Association. So going on my fifth year now. Mm-hmm. So, But Savile Row mm-hmm. okay, has dictated what finer menswear looks like for Who? centuries. Savile Row. Savile Row. Savile Row. Yep. Savile Row. In London. Okay. Yep. A nice little four-block strip of the finest men's haberdasheries, ateliers, and tailors. That's the mecca of men's the menswear fashion. mecca. In where? In London. In London, Savile mm-hmm. Row. Mm-hmm. So you're telling me Savile Row, whatever they decide is like law. With law. That is it. Law. Why is that? Indisputable. Why? why? This is crazy. I never knew this. You see my enthusiasm. That's why I love having interesting people like you on the show, man. Yeah, man. So, so have you been there? Like, uh, yes, once. And I would love to go back again. In fact, um, big, big kudos to Andrew Ramroop of Maurice Sedwell. So um, I will endlessly appreciate you and the audience that you afforded me, sir. But Savaro dictates everything, everything that's essential to our business. Really? The finest tailors in the world, okay, are located on the row. Whoa. These are people that have decades of experience, generations of experience, Uh okay? The materials, the cloth, the way that it is they construct, all of these things are time-honored traditions, a lot of which you can't even go to a regular university and be able to learn, you know? There's so much hands-on knowledge in people's hands okay yeah. is a history like they couldn't show you why they do that they just kind of do it and then you're just amazed by it kind yes. of thing you know you have to literally have the experience to be able to do so Whoa. and they are professional consummate professionals they are able to assess you in real time and provide you with a truly complimentary custom experience okay white glove service in excess. Really? So it's not just a suit. It's a whole, because it seems like it's very not experience driven. It kind of puts you in that mindset of mm-hmm. you're about to experience hundreds of years, that maybe thousands of years of preparation and expertise that this guy's about to deliver to you that fit on your body. It's, exactly. It's like a fine wine in a way. Yes. And furthermore, you go there because you know, you know, you, you, you don't just randomly go no. to Savile Row. No, exactly. You know, like for example, this is your first you know, interaction with it and everything with the theme. You go because you know, you know? Mm. So you have an idea of what to expect. And then the second you walk through any haberdashery's door, you 
experience it firsthand and it completely blows your mind. So um, everybody's seen the movie Kingsman, right? The Kingsman? Yes. Yeah, yeah. The, right. the spy movie. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. That haberdashery that you see in there is actually Huntsman on the road. Oh, so that's a store. That's honestly. a real place. Oh. That's a real place. That's a real place on Sable Row. That's a real place. As in, you can walk in and you'll see a lot of things that you saw in that movie. That's interesting. Right. It's interesting that they chose that spot. Because they know. So, so then I guess essentially you're saying it, it all comes from London. The suit culture, this gentlemanly suit culture. Well, that is true in a way. But um, the Italians have had a... Uh, oh my goodness it, it's, it's multifaceted so okay. for example you have your traditional british suit that's very structured very sharp very angled shoulders you know very heavy fabrics and everything very functional very formal very utilitarian you know then you have the you know distinct american tailoring which is where we get the american sack suit from looser fit more natural shoulders a lot of time too meant for the working man mm-hmm. you know espousing values that are really critical to you know an american as it is as a whole then you have the Italians and everything, and Neapolitan suits and stuff, and Italian cut suits that are, you know, slimmer. They are made with lighter f- cloth and fabrics because it's warmer, of course, there. You know, the, the atmosphere and the environment is different, you know. They really accentuate, you know, a very strong chest, a very tapered waistline. Suppression mm-hmm. in the waist is extremely important. You know, fit is really over there. And then you have new themes that have come in there. Another big mecca of our industry and everything is over in Japan. Very much so, just like with denim and everything else. I'm, so. not, I'm not surprised, though, because they take everything to the next level. Like oh, any yes. art or, or practice, they, Japanese people have like an interesting approach to it. That's just mm-hmm. they do this one thing exceptionally well. Satoria has exploded, okay, from the land of the rotten sun. Yeah. Exploded. And in fact, some of the best things you'll see actually now, so more so coming everything from, you know, Asian, con- Asian countries or, you know, the Asian continent more than anything else. Like they really... No, dude, I saw this like mini documentary series where this God, I, I wish I was better with names, but mm-hmm. it, it's like this Filipino uh, clothing designer from New York. Mm-hmm. He exp- he explores every certain facets of the fashion industry, and he mm-hmm. talks about denim. And he goes, "We have to check out blue denim in Japan." So they yes. go to, they go to Japan and they go to this one store where like every pair of jeans is like six hundred dollars, mm-hmm. which blows your mind at first, blows mm-hmm. my mind. But then when you start to break it down, he he takes you to like the textile where one guy makes textiles. Then he takes you to the guy who's probably the most important. He spins it, but he's also the dyer. Like Mm -hmm. it was insane. Like it's like just two people, like a couple people in this place. They've got a vat of blue and there's like different shades of blue. Like the the guy's experience on just the color blue Yep. and how long, how many times he has to rinse, how many times he has to dunk, how many times he has to sit was insane. And when you yep. went back to that store, you were like, okay, I will totally spend $600 on a pair of pants. Because it infused culture into mm. it. You feel connected to it almost. Exactly. And that is what really gives people the esteem that they have for this industry is because it does have culture. It does have identity. It does have a purpose. It resonates with you once you experience it, once you see, once you're aware of it. And then you are able to experience it in ways that you're able to understand. Mm-hmm. You don't just get, oh, this right here is extremely popular, so you should mess around and buy it. No, this is what we went through to make this. This is how many people have trained for their entire lives, okay, 
to be able to present you with something like this. This is how many different individuals' lives are impacted and their livelihoods are made. Food is put on the table by doing this crap. And it's been done this way for many, many years. It infuses culture into what you're wearing. That's interesting. but And that's so beautiful. But there's a sad sort of thing about that where someone still only wears most people aren't like you where they wear it every day. Some people might only wear that suit once or twice a year. That is true. That is true. And that's why there's different levels, mm-hmm. you know, that are available here. But once again, when you know better, you do better. True. You know? So, and that's what I go above and beyond to be able to express. Mm-hmm. You know, I give you the whys behind what you're doing. You know, we're not just going for a look here. We're going to give you a reason for why you're wearing this. No, it's super important. Cause I mean, when you pay all money for anything, it's the experience and the culture that you want to get. Mm-hmm. When you tell someone this cloth was made like this by this family in this place and it, you feel connected to it and, and yes. you almost feel like you can pass it on when you get it. Right. And it's pla- putting a nice little idea in your head that can blossom into a couple of different things. Mm-hmm. So so to get back to that, I spent I spent about five years, yeah, about five years and everything is an impersonal stylist. And, and one thing I tell people all the time too, and this is, I really want to highlight, um, arbiters, tailors as a whole and everything don't make a lot of money come compared to the people that we serve, you know, they're like, for example, and everything, if you get a Keton K50, that's a $50,000 suit. Okay. Imagine the type of individual you have to be, the type of liquidity you have to have. Okay? To buy a $50,000 suit right. as opposed to putting that towards your house or something. Right. You know? Now, mind you, as the individual creating that, do I make as much money as that individual? No. I no. Mean, nowhere close. So even my mentor, Mr. Rambrup, has said over the said, it's like there's by no means do I make the type of income and everything that I'm able to afford to buy a propensive amount of my suits. You know, I am, I am because of the amount of time it is that I've spent in my craft, I am very successful in it, but by no means am I anywhere close to the people it is I serve. Yeah, of course. I mean, it makes sense that you guys would have tons of suits the same way. It makes sense that a chef eats the food that he probably can't afford to buy the plates of every night, you know, at a fine restaurant. Right. Of course you're going to get good food. Of course you're going to get some suits here and there. You know, Mm -hmm. it makes sense. Right. You know? But and that's where it becomes egoless, you know? That's where it becomes a situation where you have to take your preconceived notions out of the equation. And I tell people all the time is that when I started in this business, it's personal sacrifice as well, too, just like anything, just really? like even your platform, you know? This all has an expense. Yeah. Before you created all this and, you know, made your platform, made your, you know, cut your teeth in your industry, you know? <laughs> you had to, you know do a couple of things and everything free or host a couple of different things or create some content well, of course, to bring people over. Dude, I worked for free for over a year. Exactly. I lost money yeah, in my same. industry. Same. For, and in fact, up in, until like two years ago, I was still losing money in this industry. How? how, are you, how? You're selling because, these amazing suits. Yes, but you have to, one, have the network. True. You know, you got to have the people. That can afford the price point. That's very one. true. DC is mm-hmm. one of the top two richest cities in the world. So, mm-hmm. or yeah, I mean, well, in America. Yes. I don't, I don't want to say world, I'm probably wrong there. Well, even with that being said, you're right. But even then, we're dealing with like the upper five percentile of shoppers, you know? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's to walk in my haberdashery right there. Yes, we do have varying price points. Hey, you can feel included. So, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, um, you know, it starts at $19.95, $2,000, <sighs> you know? 
that's where we start. Yeah. Uh, imagine if you wanted to completely do a, re, a, a new wardrobe, there you go. Mm-hmm. You know, but, um, you know, that upper five percentile is, you know, real. And the thing about it is you have to know what you're talking about to these people as well, too. And when I first started and everything, I didn't. I didn't know everything that I need to know and everything about the differences between a Prince of Wales and a regular Glen plaid. I didn't know enhanced levels of drape. I didn't know different shoulders, the way that we do that, whether it be roped or natural or pagoda or anything like that, or how to be able to style specific to industry, you know, or to be able to create a garment that was better for travel, you know, that was a lot more durable than something that had a finer hand. You think on so many levels for just this one person's use and need that's what makes you an expert at what you do mm-hmm. you know I, it's it's not like a waiting job where you just learn a menu this is something that takes years mm-hmm. and years of knowledge and putting work into like mm-hmm. and I have invested a lot of my time a lot of my energy my health and my finances to this and yes I have become a lot more successful in the last two years mm-hmm. especially but no I lost I lost money the majority of my time in the industry Wow. Because you have to pay to play, number one. Number two, you have to learn, you know, and you have to incorporate elements to be able to build your knowledge. And then you have to have that functional experience. You have to actually make one, you know, and then make another. If you have a guy that comes in 6'5 and 320, you have to know how to deal with that, but you can only do that if you're in it, mm. you know. You have a guy and everything that's 5'5 five five or whatever, and he weighs 400 pounds, or you have a guy that's 4'11 and everything, and he's 101, soaking wet. You have to have done it, you know? Now, yes, there are things that you can read and there are proportions that are available that can kind of help you, but you have to have done Nothing it. Nothing same in a, a, like field experience. Right. You can read about everything as much as you want, but until you've actually done it, until you've taken that punch in the face, until you've mm-hmm. gotten your feet wet, you can, speculating can only get you so far. Exactly. So it takes a lot, you know? And back to what we were saying before, I spend 23 days preparing for four days of work. What do you mean? As in, I spend 23 days studying cloth that comes in, making sure that, you know, cloth that is out that's no longer available or can be milled and everything is curated out of the program, you know, putting patterns and stuff together, being able to see how different construction elements are play on different body types, understanding slope of shoulder definitions and how to be able to accommodate for that, people's different proportions and arm length or, you know, if somebody happens to have a hunchback or it has any other type of deformity, how you would minimize that look, you know, how barrel chest it comes. So what in are the what are the ways. four days? Those four days are actually making the product for an individual. Oh, that so consultation. So first day they come in, second day. Okay, okay. Mm-hmm. Twenty three days to make sure that when that person you have that appointment, that you're on point. Oh, that's like the run mm-hmm. up to it. Mm-hmm. Like practicing in the gym before you have the big game. Mm-hmm. That's really what it is, you know. And I will, because at the end of the day, this person is coming in for their first consultation. I don't know what they're going to say. I don't know what they're going to do. Maybe we've met beforehand. Maybe we haven't. Maybe he saw me on Instagram. Maybe he knows the company and everything proper. Maybe Did you research on him at all? Yes, you have to. Yeah. To be thorough. Yeah. That doesn't mean that you have to in, you know, the scope. That's just my process. Yeah. No, it, but I, I think that's more appreciated than it would be if you were to look that negatively. Mm-hmm. The fact that you care that much. It's like what you're doing is not just a flash in the pain gig. Yes. You know, it's like what you're doing is like, this is a career sort of idea. And I, look, I know nothing's ever permanent. No one ever stays in stasis. You know, mm-hmm. everyone's always moving forward. But it's like, it's like what you're doing. It's like to just, it's, you're deep in it. You're, mm-hmm. you're deep in that. Very much so. <laughs> Very much so. It, it has 
become a very, very, very critical part of my life. We hear Jewel, I'm like a madman. Man, I, now that's one that thing Jewel about it too. Boy, I'm on that. Like, I am a chain smoker, folks. Okay, I am a chain smoker. So, believe it or not, up at 7 a.m. every day. Don't go to bed until about 1, 2, no, excuse me, don't get in the house until about 1, 2 a.m. in life. And then I might get that great call from Vegas. Hi. And then we're back to work again. What do you mean that great call from Vegas? We actually stitched was found in the Cosmopolitan in Las Vegas. That's home base. Oh, yeah. So it's like always in hotels and casinos. But yes, that's actually the majority. What is places. this stitching? You keep talking about stitch. Oh, stitch is a haberdashery. So this is where this great suit came from. So. Haberdashery is a place where they make suits. Or? Yes. Okay. So and actually, where you can get a varied amount of regalia. So for you know the traditional haberdashery was really based in the frontier life. So. You went to a haberdashery to be able to outfit yourself for the wild, for hunting, for traveling, you know, across the country, et cetera, et cetera. And you get all your wares. You'd be able to get your hats. You'd be able to get mm. your, you know, jackets, your coats, your gloves, your everything, you know, scents and stuff and everything to be able to, you know, stain your gloves or to be able to just take care of, you know, your personal appearance, shaving gear, you know, candy and stuff for long rides, meats, everything like that. It was completely outfitting you for where you're going. Ah, okay. Because yes. like it's, it's one of those words that you hear, but you never have clarified. It just sounds really nice. Mm-hmm. And with us, Stitch was found in the Cosmopolitan in Las Vegas. We are extremely adept at giving you the perfect drape. So the company that I work for makes an exceptional garment because they do understand that they are definitively and authentically Las Vegas in nature. And our owner, Ema Springall, has a very trained eye in what success looks like and what being dynamic, charismatic. Mm-hmm. Having a little bit of braggadocio, of course, yeah. is about, you know, and how to be able to make that come through in your clothes, to be able to provide you with a ambiance of gentlemanly candor with those subtle hints of irreverence that shock and awe you. You know, and mind you, this is a very successful man in and of his own right. So 40 on 40 recipient, 30 on 30 recipient. OK, um, extremely adept at being able to build relationships, has been in the insurance industry of Vegas for the top hotels and casinos in Vegas and everything for many, many years. Multimillionaire and everything at 18. Whoa. OK, multimillionaire at 18. Okay. Who is this man? Eamon Springall. Eamon Springall. Yes. So seems like a serial entrepreneur too. Like, oh, so much so. Seems like it's like crazy gentlemanly like guy. This is insane. But approachable. One of the funniest guys that you'll ever meet. And then furthermore, okay, he was approached by the casinos in Vegas because he's a native Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. Okay. He's lived there his whole life. Went to UNLV and everything, graduated with honors, all of that. He was approached by the individuals that ran the casinos and the hotels in Vegas to bring a menswear experience to Las Vegas that was completely palatable to natives, something that the people that have lived in Vegas their entire life would be able to understand, be like, oh, yeah, this is us. This looks like us. This feels like us. But would be able to bring that lifestyle, that aesthetic, 
those philosophies to everybody that visits Vegas as well, too. Oh. You know? Don't, so, don't mind the banging, by oh, the way. Not a problem yeah, at all. I don't think they can hear it on here. Just <laughs> When you're in a studio like this, it's it, you'll, you'll hear some weird shit. It's all right. I like it, man. It's, yeah. it's Once again, it's real. You yeah. know? I like it when it's yeah, real. Yeah, I mean, if she keeps banging, I have to go drop kick her a little bit. <laughs> hey, but, that's but, okay. I'll follow up. Man. <laughs> you know, so that's how that goes. No, no, but, is, as, but as you're saying, as you're yes, saying. Yes, yes. So he pondered over this, okay? Wildly successful man, very well dressed man. Almost nine years gone, no, ten years now, and everything going, everything has been the best dressed man in Vegas. You know, whoa. And mind you, the man's only forty one. But you make it sound like he's like 60, 70 year old only guy. Forty one, man. Whoa. And to be honest, and everything, I could be wrong. You know, it's been a long night, but he's not that old at all. But approached by the big wigs in Vegas, the people that really run things, make us something that says that this is us but that everybody in here can understand. So he sat down with major brands and everything. I'm not going to get into those brands, of course, yeah. but major, you know, couture houses. Wow. And wanted to bring something that was still going to be able to speak to people that lived in Vegas, but still was authentic. Spent two years running the numbers. Big numbers guy, okay? Until so it just dawned on me, I could just do this myself. And that's where you end up getting the Longhorn that we have in our location. That's right above, you know, the cash wrap with the bow tie and the big 3D butt of, I mean, the three big 3D book of butts, okay, <laughs> that we have in our location right next to our whiskey lockers. Hey, butts a, say a lot about a person, man. Don't, don't they, though? Butts are so, interesting. Absolutely. And, you know, you'll have your Basil Hayden's in there. And then on the other side, you have, have like some a bowl stuff, of stitched con condoms, you know. Whoa. So it's irreverence. It's meant to be like, this can appeal to anybody and everybody on any level. It's not campy, but it's fun. Yeah. You know? It, yeah. It, I can see how that could come across very cliche and campy, almost like corny in a way, but it has to come off very sincere yep. to, to buy into it. We have a picture of Fred Astaire in the corner as well as Andy Warhol. We have a big motorcycle in the middle of the Habadashri. That works. Okay. Damn. Stit, just completely stitched out all the way through. And then you have a formal tuxedo and everything that may cost $7,000 right yeah, now. No big deal, right? Right. It's those mix of themes, you know, something for everybody, but we're still us. It's so interesting that, you know, everything you know, everything you do, that you're employed by someone. You, I, would, you, I think most people listening and myself, I would almost think that you, I thought you owned the company. Hmm. Well, as an, and I say this again, you know, I am just a simple arbiter. I tell people all the time, hey, don't believe the hype. You know, I'm just a regular guy. You know, I just really love what it is that I do. And there's been times and everything where I've worked in industries where I didn't love what it is I do, but it paid the bills, you know. But I believe in what it is that I do. And I believe in the company it is that I work for, you know. Everything, everything has, you know, it's hard times. Not everything is always lollipops and gumdrops. No you way. Know? Of course not. Dude, 100% no. But the philosophy that we have, with my brand, Stitch Life, okay? It gives you something that truly in D.C. is completely unique and that we need, okay? The second that you walk into our store, you, you feel it, you know? There's no other atelier in the city that gives you the experience that we give you just from you walking in the door, okay? The vibes. The vibes, okay? The vibes. Yep. <laughs> and you can be that. We want creatives, we want people that are inspired by what they see. We want traditional tutorialists and we can very aptly take care of them. But we want that guy that has never, never been at that level before. 
you know? Mm-hmm. You'll sit there and have a very bland two-piece pinstripe, and then you'll have a floral that will be in, like, lavender and jacquards all the way through with a shawl collar that may be, like, five inches long, you but, know? But, but D.C. definitely has the culture that could support what you guys are doing, or that goes right. perfectly. If, if there ever was a city I could think of, it'd probably be D.C. New York, let alone D.C. more because of how political it is. Mm-hmm. But it seems like the political guys wouldn't, I mean, they would never wear stripes and stuff. At least from what I noticed, it always seems to be very blue, red tie, mm-hmm. power suit. Mm-hmm. Interesting question. What do you think of Trump's suits? Okay. Mm. Here's the truth. Okay? <laughs> and I hope now that I don't get any type of, uh, you know, let's not politicize this now. No, folks, I'm, you know, yeah, so, yeah. But Trump has a good suit. He's got a good suit? He has a good suit. Especially no. given his build. Good or a great suit? He has a good suit. Good suit. Because at the end of the day, it does kind of boil down to what your body looks like to a degree. I'm sure he's and a little flappy under there. A little he's bit. An old, he's an older know, guy. He only eats McDonald's and KFC and, you know, like he only eats fast food. So, Do you, do you see how when he has basketball teams come over, he gives yep. them McDonald's and Chick-fil-A, which is like yep. the last thing those guys eat? Once again, he's being, he's being him. He keeps it real. He is keeping it real. But his suits are great. Actually, wow. you know, but it does, of course, you know, me being technical there, <laughs> he is one of the best, he is one of the best dressed presidents, you know, wow. period. Really? Hands down, yes. I would not guess that. Mm-hmm. Hands down, you know, he is literally one of the best dressed presidents. What makes I mean, you say that? It seems like well, he's always because, in the same suit. I mean, yes, but just like most presidents are, you know, True. I mean, you have to understand they lambasted Barack Obama for wearing a tan suit during the State of the Union address. Did they? They cut him to pieces for what? that. What? It's just not done. It, it's just not, you know? They, I, I feel like people would freak out or they would have feel some certain way if, if they saw, oh, I mean, just in a tan suit, you said, but like let alone if he came up in a blue-striped suit or anything oh, yeah. or a tweed suit or something like that. It would be looked at as tactless, <sighs> you know? And once again, that's knowing the rules. You're the president yeah. of the United States. You got to know what it is you're supposed to wear, you know? But even then, was that something that was, you know, not supposed to wear? It was just atypical. It had not been done by any of his predecessors. Most of the time, it's going to be, you know, different shades of navy and lighter or darker spectrum. It's always blue. Yeah, yeah, always, you know, but that's just what it is. The only person that really even played around with that a little bit before what we saw with Barack was JFK, you know, oh. uh, Carter too, but, you know. But yes, his suits are great. What about that red power tie? What do you, what do you oh, think about that? You kind of have to do it because once again, it's good old USFA, you know? So No, but like that was specifically people were drawing, like they were like his red power tie. And in a way it's like red has become the symbol of like white masculinity or something like in, in a really interesting way. Let's look at that color, for example. Let's and I go it. with this for with people a while too. So um, what is that color? Red. It's a color of dominance. Yes. It's a color of battle. Of Scarlet for exactly. You know? An aggressive color. It is a very bulls, aggressive. Bulls color. get pissed off and Eggs. you know, show you how nature reacts to it. Exactly. Where do you see reds? Fire, you know, magma, extremes. That is interesting, yeah. Mm-hmm. Where does it naturally occur? Yeah. Right. And mind you, even with the extremes over, you can even take it a little bit more philosophically speaking. Roses are associated with love, right? Amorous love. What do you give somebody if you're in love with them as far as a rose color? Red, right? It's pretty extreme though. Love exactly. is always kind of extreme. If you're, like, love. Yes. The, the color red is associated with extremes. Mm-hmm. You know? Just like black is associated with the lack of those extremes. White is associated with purity. You know, vibrance, new life. You know, illumination. Things like that. And death in some cultures too. Yes. These right here 
influence, especially when you wear certain things, they influence people's perceptions of your position and your mentality. Do you think subconsciously or consciously? Subconsciously. Subconsciously. And that is where my artistry comes in because you use those subtle themes to be able to control a person's responsiveness to you. Okay. If you have a personality that is over the top, okay, you don't really need colors, okay, that are going to embellish that. So somebody that would be, you know, a character, okay, and they've normally been dressing in, you know, wild shades and everything of reds and pinks and greens and this and everything else. I'm like, okay, well, you know, not only are you instantly letting somebody know right in the beginning to ham your hammer to the face, but everything that they experience with you before they even get close enough to hear you speak, they're already putting you in a certain category. They're already expecting a certain thing from you. Mm-hmm. They have already judged you, basically. Yeah. Okay? So in some ways, you've kind of robbed your, yourself of that power. You know, that you By dressing so so flamboyantly yes. colorful? Yes. Huh. And especially if you're trying to be taken seriously or if you have a message to be able to convey, you might want to be able to retain all of your assets. Yeah, for, for, for some reason, someone wearing all pink and yellow who's trying to have a serious conversation with you doesn't make sense. I, I, I heard a statement it. the other day. They're like, you're really going to show up in a business meeting with a yellow laptop cover? And, I, and that kind of rang in my head. And I was like, when I was younger, I had a yellow, yellow laptop cover. But when I think about it in context, it's like, there is some weird truth. That even though it's just, you know, it's just a color. Mm-hmm. It's just a freaking color. It, it kind of says something. It does. And that's the thing. You don't want to put the cart before the horse, for example. You don't want to rob yourself of an experience or of a connection or anything else just because you wore the inappropriate thing. And not only that, sometimes you do want a little bit of mystery. Sometimes you want to be able to be the person that dictates the platform in which you present yourself to the world. So a lot of times, if you have an overly boisterous personality, I do put you in more muted colors so that that can be a surprise. That's interesting. Yeah, as opposed to matching it, it, you pwn that back so that way when they say, oh, okay. Right. So when you open your mouth, you still are dictating the pace, Mm -hmm. you know? Say you are reserved, but you happen to be the person that is in charge of said event or you know company or whatever you know maybe i will put you in powerful colors you know so that the words that it is you have they're already incorporating when they see you and everything okay this person is important everything that this person says or does is going to have weight they're going to analyze you more so they're going to focus more in to what it is that you're saying and what it is you're doing because they've already assessed you as a person of importance because we put you in that power suit pinstripe that has the red deco. Or we're sitting over there using a herringbone and everything that has a subtle luster. And that, so they, they have to approach you to be able to see the definition in the suit, you know? Well, in a lot of ways, the way you dress says a lot about your knowledge and whatever you do. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes I feel like as someone who wants to be a serious fashion photographer, like I should dress a certain way. I'm not too sure what that way is, but, I, but I'm, in my mind, it's like I'm wearing like designer shit or something mm-hmm. like I'm wearing really nice everything so that you'd look at me like, like I can probably take a good photo and you know, and he knows what he's talking about the same way. I look at you like he definitely knows what he's talking about. You know, the right. same way if your barber has a bad haircut, you're like, mm. exactly. or, 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 or if you're, or that old saying, if your barber's bald, you probably shouldn't trust him to cut your hair. Probably not. You know, <laughs> you know? he can do but, one thing pretty well, but it wouldn't be what you need. But, but, you but know? you get what I'm saying? Like it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's just, there's, there's that correlation, even though someone could say, Oh, I could, 
you know, not wear any makeup and be the world's best makeup artist. It's kind of like, you're kind of thinking like, well, there's something still kind of weird about that. Right. And that's the thing about it is that perception, I, I am a big proponent of perception is not always reality, but the fact about it is we live in a real world. You yeah. Know, sometimes you have to employ these things. So, and even with yourself, right? This is why you would come to somebody like me. Because you know? mm. we're going to make it about you. We're going to do it your way. What do you way. mean you only wear suits? I'm not going to wear suits, bro. What do you mean? I, I can't crouch and hit these crazy crouch angles in a suit. What do you mean? Let me tell you something, right? What if I told you, and this is actually very recent, okay? What if I told you that I could give you a bespoke suit that you could take on the go with you and throw in a washing machine? A washing machine is your regular laundromat. Mm-hmm. Take it right out of the laundry and everything, right then and there. Let it air dry, and you're right back on the go. No wrinkles, still drapes appropriately, stills on the go, functional, everything, not one stitch or one piece of cloth out of place. And you can just throw that in your washing machine when you're done with it. God damn it, take my money. Right. That exists. Z from Zegna. Mm. You know? I would love to be able to show you the ad and everything a little bit later as well, too. <laughs> be like, and you'll look at this guy. He's like, he's wearing a hoodie. And he's wearing like, you know, jeggings or like whatever you want to call it. And he has, you know, athletic shoes on. I think some Yeezys or something. And he throws that suit on and it's like, oh, that's, that's cool. Mm-hmm. You know, like that's cool. And the thing is, we don't overthink this. You know, it's met on your terms. You know, I, like I said in the beginning of this, I could throw a jacket on you right now and it's still you. You know, True. still you, you know, it's just now you have a finely tailored jacket on. And it doesn't even have to be known that you do, you know? People just respond to it however they're going to respond to it. And a lot of times that's positive. So, and to go on, I guess, from where we are is that me finding out all these things, me spending all that time and everything as an independent stylist, learning all these things, then I felt empowered. And then I realized that there are levels to this business as well, too. There's a big difference between made to order, made to measure, custom, and then bespoke. Bespoke being the highest level. Yes. Okay. And even in that bespoke, okay, there are two different levels and everything in that that, def- that define its worthiness, okay? So you have ultra bespoke, which is the best of the best, and you have semi-bespoke, okay? There are levels in this business, and when I found Jesus. out that there were, you know, I was like, okay, I have to push myself. You seem like, you, you seem like you'd want to be at ultra bespoke. Very much so. Why wouldn't you? Very much so. But it's time-honored. So mm-hmm. I was initially doing Made to Measure okay. with Jay Hilburn, okay? And I needed more because the work that I was doing, the people that I was interfacing with, their skills were growing, their positions were elevating. I need to be able to provide them with more options. I need to be able to change lapel sizes. I need to be able to offer more things and everything just to notch your peak. I need to be able to do double-breasted a certain way. I need to be able to do narrow collars. I need to be able to do trousers different ways, pleats or not, you know, different waistbands, different cuff sizes, things like that. Things that were beyond what that program at that point was able to do. Not taking anything away from that program, but my client. Yeah, that was like, that was like the the launching pad that got you to Mm -hmm. being at Stitch now being this arbiter of elegance, essentially. It's yes, yes, exactly. And it's very broad. You need tools to be able to do the highest order of work. And I sat there and I dove even further. But you don't make suits. I think that's a distinction I don't think I asked. You don't actually, you don't make them. You just get it ready for production, essentially. No, 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 actually I do. 
Oh, so you, mm-hmm. whoa. Okay. I'm now, once again, this is the other part about it too. I'm an apprentice tailor as well too, have been for the last three years. But that's me being an apprentice tailor three years into a 10-year program. <sighs> and then, and then actually being in the field and getting that 10 to 15, 20 years of experience. Is that where you want to be? Yes. You want to be hand-making these suits mm-hmm. and being able to? Mm-hmm. Every, every facet, cutting from cut to construction, from front street to cut, to construction, to canvassing, to everything. I mean, that, that same sort of thing I was talking about where I saw the whole denim and everything, they went to a guy who, and I can't remember his name, but he was the, like one of the highest levels of, of this menswear tailoring. And he only made like something crazy, like four suits a year or something like that. It was, it was insane how little he made, but how much went into it. Mm-hmm. And that's where we are, you know? And that's really what it is. And the thing about it is you can't rush that process. Mm-hmm. You know, I've been in this industry and everything for 10 years. Okay. But seven, eight of those and everything was just <laughs> learning. So what, what's your opinion on the whole like menswear style blogger influencer? Mm-hmm. Because that, that's a really interesting, I'm sure you got some opinion on that where, uh, you know, after having this crazy conversation with you and I feel like I know a lot more, uh, these guys who present these suits to the public, it, and present themselves as like experts, I guess, of, of menswear style. What do you think about the whole culture, the whole blogger and style influencer culture? It's essential, of course, to the business. I've learned a lot and everything from different menswear bloggers. Because I've seen you work with some. Yes. Some, some friends of mine who are, who are those guys. Yes. So they're definitely essential to the culture. Yeah. They're definitely essential to pushing those themes. You know, I tell people all the time, I'm, I'm not an influencer. Mm-hmm. You know, I actually work in my industry. And if I am able to point you in a certain direction because you've seen something or you've heard something that has been on my social media scape or you've had an interaction with me, then awesome. But I don't do what it is that I do in the social media sphere or in the media sphere as a whole. For likes and followers. For likes and followers. No, you know, it's to be able to have out of maybe, you know, 7,000 people that see some content I post, three of them and everything are actual buyers. And that's something that they're going to resonate to, to be like, okay, well, I know he knows what he's talking about and I need have very specific requests. Let me seek him out. I do it for clients mm. purely. Okay. I do it purely for clients. If I ever was working with another creative photographer, a videographer, et cetera, et cetera. The purpose for this is not for me to be the medium or for me to mess around and grab you know, 20 K more followers or for me to be this quasi celebrity. No, it's meant to tell a story to get me more clientele Mm. period. There's yeah. You're not going back to your nine to five job, you know, putting on a suit, then going back to nine to five job, which is in like marketing. You are in the industry. You know, what you're showing is who you are. Right. I own every suit that you see in my, how many suits do you own? I'm just curious. Uh, 67 as it is right now at the bespoke level, at the bespoke level. Oh my God. 67 at this point, um, overall and everything. And I've acquired a couple of different pieces in the year and a half and everything that I've been in my haberdashery. So we're at like about 110 now. But you have to have this stuff because the difference is, is that when I'm walking down the street, I'm an advertisement for my brand. No, it makes makes sense. 100%. It's like, you have to want to buy this, you know? So I have to have suits that are going to appeal to one demographic. I have to have suits that are going to appeal to another demographic. I have to show you in real life what it is you can get, you know? And then, so you can bring an idea to me and be like, I need this, or I want this, or I want to see how we go about this. 
So it's a business expense. It's not because I just like looking good, you know? So so, so back on the whole like blogger mm-hmm. menswear influencer thing, it's like, it seems like that they have, they in some way bring attention to what you do. Like yes. it's, it seems like it's more of a plus than is like them watering down perhaps what you do. Well, then that would be my issue, you know, mm. is that you have influencers, you have bloggers, you have these guys that still do not incorporate the historiological aspect. Know what you're talking about, okay? Or better yet, if you're a fan of it, or if you're just getting into it, or if you don't have the level of understanding that is necessary to be able to talk about a certain theme, seek out those that do, you know, and use that to enhance your platform. Dude, 100%. If I was a menswear style blogger who wore suits in some of my pictures, you are like the perfect person. I'd, I'd pull you in and I'd be like, yo, like make content with you or something. That'd mm-hmm. be insane. Yeah. And the thing about it is, is that sometimes, truthfully, especially for people that really work in the industry, you may not get something that you feel is going to be able to resonate with your audience or you may not get something that will have that ooh and ah effect because, you know, it's serious. But at least you'll know and then you can sit there and commute the message the appropriate way so that you don't misdirect people. That's true. I'll give you a perfect example. This has completely irked me to the max. Oh, oh I'm ready. Yes. Everybody sees when you have the NBA players coming in from (laughs) the NBA players coming in, going to the game, you know, or, you know, straight off the bus. It's a moment. That's a moment. It is a moment. But then you sit there and see a sleeve and everything or whatever, right? Love you, LeBron, for what you do, but not what you do, okay? This man, LeBron James, okay? He's like six foot seven, six foot eight. He's right? a giant. He's a, like 250 pounds, huge, it's right? He's a specimen, yeah. Your suit is way too tight. <laughs> okay. Your sleeve is hiked all the way up, basically up on your forearm. Okay. You're wearing the wrong type of shoes and everything for the type of chaps it is you've basically created with this suit. Or your tail length is too short for somebody that's your height. Okay, your gorge is not appropriate. You have this bulging at the collar and everything that you need to drop. Like, who dresses you, man? It's interesting because they're they have the money for it, but yes. they just but they're I think they they're, they're just bros who play basketball, right? And you have these stylists, okay, that will throw this stuff on these people and everything to achieve a look. But once again, it there's nothing that was made specific about it, and nothing in account to who it is that you address. Oh, so you're place. saying like, it's like they just threw a suit on him as opposed to like. Then maybe hitting you up and be like, hey, right. Greg, you want to come in and, and make a suit? Or just taking a simple measurement. It's like the man's arms are huge. Like, come on now. <laughs> his like, arms are probably twice as long as anyone else his size. Like, right. this is genetically gifted for his sport. Right. Like, he's not ready to wear. Yeah. You're not no grabbing way. it there's off no the way. peg, you know? And I like, I hate that. And then you'll have guys and everything like Russell Westbrook, love him to death and everything for the fact that he pushes that fashion element and everything all the way over there. But we, we'll sit there as a satorialist and be like, okay. Pattern, pattern on pattern on pattern that are going in different directions and everything. It just looks like a somebody just threw paint on a wall and everything and whatever uh, different colors and just however it fell, it fell. Do you think he knew or do you think it was no, like a stylist? It's just like the, no, he doesn't know. Most you, people don't. They, I'm sure he does have a stylist. Most of them do. They yes. definitely do. A stylist, okay, but a stylist, okay, can be either suited more toward styling or suited more toward fashion. You can do that. You can do that walking down a runway for 15, 20 seconds. Mm -hmm. It's meant to be a show. 
But we're talking about something that you actually will functionally wear. Ah, big difference. Big Something difference. that looks good in a photo as opposed to something he has to go sit, interact with people. In, right. Live in, essentially. I make clothes. I style people for you being able to go to the office, to Starbucks, to walking the dog and everything, you know, on a lunch break if you happen to be around the house, to you going happy hour, to you going home. Real world, real functionality, rakish elegance. What do you think about people sort of deconstructing the suit now? Like I see a lot of, a lot of um, in the recent fashion weeks and even, I don't know how familiar you are with what Christian Soriano did at the Oscars. Mm-hmm. Did you see it? Yep, uh, saw that. The, the guy wearing the suit gown. Saw that. That was insane. And people, a lot insane. of people were like, yo, that was the best thing there. Yes, but now the question that I ask is what purpose does it serve? Well, I think I think for that, I think they're trying to communicate a social message. I I, I don't feel like it was as much endearing to suit culture as it was as they were trying to say, you know, the whole LGBT community mm-hmm. and trying to say like a man can wear a suit and a dress. I think it was more of that in, okay. a, in a lot of ways, personally. Right. Correct. Now, what function did it serve? If he was walking down the street here, how would that work in the real world? Well, I don't think that was the point there. It's not. And that's the difference between fashion and style. That's the difference between my industry and what you see a lot of times on TV. Mm. We have a purpose. You have a cuff on your pants, okay, to be able, if you're in, you know, where cuffs are predominant and everything, which is in the UK, because it rains a lot, okay? Keeps that moisture and everything from hitting your socks and stuff on a rainy day. Oh, cuff in at the Manchester. bottom of your pants. Exactly. Ah, it has a purpose. That's like the, that was the origin of the cuff. Yes. Oh. That kept that water from damaging your bottom, the break as far as your shoe and everything. So it only caught the heel, which is the part that you would expect to have water and dirt and dust and everything over in there for. Okay. It would also give extra material and everything in the event that that wore that you can be able to resurface it. And it kept that water. From making, from coming into yeah, your, where it's you know, always rainy, it's just always sad and depressing. Right. Why do you have a gorge pocket right above, like breast pocket, and you have pockets on your jacket? There's to be used. I walk around and I see a lot of times people don't open up their vents on their jacket. It's meant so that when you sit down, it doesn't throw off the contours and the lines of your suit. I have you have pockets on your suit for a reason. I open up people's gorges every day. Because they just had left them sealed because they went and they bought something off the rack and they don't know any better and everything is still stitched together. I'm like, look, man, this opens up and you can use this as an actual pocket so, for a reason. But back to that gown dress, you're saying mm-hmm. that that was just a statement as opposed to it That's wasn't it. it wasn't an actual thing where. Nope. Huh. It's just it just was that it was meant for you to make a statement. But, for so you, but you don't care that like happened. Do you think it's like, why do you feel like it? I know it's it's fashion and not style, mm-hmm. but like I thought it was cool. It was cool, but it serves no purpose. Mm. And that's the difference. Other than putting it in that situation mm-hmm. yep. and being like, look what I stand for. Exactly. And then furthermore and everything, he was in a tux at the top, black tie all the way through, and then a flowing gown and everything, right? That's completely contradictory to what you wear a tux for, isn't it? And that's the difference. What do you mean? What do you mean? You wear a tux to conform, right? Interesting, yeah. Right. It's black on gross game, like what we talked about before. You wear that to be able to blend and everything be unilateral. There's nothing unilateral about that. Everybody in the world sees you. Everybody in the world mess around and knows what it is you're about or what you're trying to do at that point. You know, no. It, it was like that no. complete opposite of what a, what a tux does that, at that situation. Exactly. It was more of a, yeah. Yep. And that's the thing is that my viewpoints are skewed towards what its purpose is for. Because that's what you do. Yep. That's just, 
one hundred percent. But mm. do you appreciate the art of it by any chance? I'm sure. Just, I'm sure. I'm sure making that must have been insane. Yes, it was. <sighs> God. Yes, it was. And I do appreciate it on that level, you know. But I'm because of what it is that I do in industry. I just literally respond to that like, okay, well, that's fashionable, mm-hmm. you know. But it serves no purpose. What about like women in suits? Do you feel oh, about that? I, I actually was the first person in our hobby industry to be able to make a woman's garment. Oh, cool. You know, I, was, I wasn't sure if you're going to be like, women shouldn't wear suits. But I'm, no, you don't seem like you'd be like, it okay. sh- definitely should. In fact, that is actually my purest passion in this business. I love women's tutorialism. Love it. There are so many things you are able to do with a woman's garment that is powerful. And so unbelievably stylish. Because you look at someone like Hillary, she's wearing it seems like a different version of a suit in a weird way. Like even she is ha- having to wear, as opposed to wearing like a nice dress. Even even Michelle Obama, who it wasn't running for presidency, but she was first lady, she would wear seemingly suit inspired garments, yep, pantsuits and everything, or yeah, you know, suit skirts, garments. It's everything else. And you know what it does? And this is something that's really important to me too. It interjects that power and equality in the workplace, in society, conversation, into everything. I've seen women wearing suits that look better than any man that could ever wear one. And the prestige that they exude in it, while still maintaining that femininity, I'm I'm completely head over heels for it. You Mm. know? It just allows them to be able to step into a field where they feel that there's glass ceilings, there's lack of inclusion. There is competing themes about their viability in the environment. I think some people would look at a woman wearing a suit and kind of seeing like that as a, in a weird way of conforming to men's norms in a men-driven workplace. I'm glad you said that as well too. Because in a lot of ways, some people do feel that way. And that is why you make it their own. Mm, however they feel. Yes. That's why you make it a suit that was made for a woman, not a masculine garment that a woman just happens to be wearing. Big difference. Yes. Ah, yes. I see. And you preserve that innate femininity and you showcase the woman, you know? You allow her to be competing themes and you embrace it, you know? There's so much strength in that, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's something that I really am strong, strongly for, you know? I am a very big proponent for powerful, successful, highly upwardly mobile women. So, Of course. And there's a couple of uh, associates that it is that I have, in particular one that I've worked with pretty uh, intensively, that um, she is ruthless, mm. dynamic, extremely intelligent, resourceful. You know, you know who I saw? That just came to my mind. Mm-hmm. I was covering an event at the National Portrait Gallery, mm-hmm. and they had a bunch of really big artists um, in there. And they had the the woman who painted uh, Michelle Obama's mm-hmm. uh, portrait. She came in, tall, beautiful black woman. Um, I think she was maybe in like her thirties. I don't know. It's probably bad guess in age, but she wore a very nice suit inspired garment. She was not wearing a dress. Uh-huh. She was wearing, and it it was it felt very powerful. Like mm-hmm. it, it felt very authoritative. Like it wasn't she wasn't dressed as this like artist you might think it's like she is still like that person it was it was it was an interesting dynamic it bucked your conventions didn't it a little bit yeah, yeah like so, i wasn't expecting that right and it made you think of her in different ways didn't it yeah it seemed it almost seemed like she fit more into that culture exactly 
but still professional. hundred percent. You know, still, still very, very beautiful. I'm sure. You know, dude, in, in that same event, I saw Chuck Close. You know who Chuck Close is? Yeah. Dude, it's so funny. Um, I saw him and I honestly did not know who Chuck Close was. I'm, mm-hmm. I, do, I can't know everything. I did not mm-hmm. know who Chuck Close was. He was like an older guy bound to a wheelchair. You know, he was, he was paralyzed because he had like a collapse uh, vertebrae, something like that. And and he was with like the most gorgeous women. Like mm-hmm. this girl was not like mid twenties. I'm like I'm like wait a minute, something's going on. Something's here. I'm like going I'm like on what's here? going on? And he was, <laughs> he was dressed very well, by the way. Yeah, I was like this is really interesting. I was like mm-hmm. hmm, Chuck. And then someone was like someone's like yo, that's Chuck Close. And I was like who? He like he's he did Bill Clinton's photo and mm-hmm. all these big things. And I was like oh whoa whoa wow. Yeah, <laughs> I was like whoa. Like, oh, so that's a gold digger. <laughs> Maybe, maybe not. Hey, you maybe, know, maybe, you know maybe, that, maybe not. That could have been love. Let, let me, let me, <laughs> let me, let me not assume the, the intentions there. <laughs> but you know that helps. Yeah, you know, I, I'm, that, I'm that sure it's way more influence to push him around. Oh I think. yeah, oh yeah, that definitely helps. So, but back to the theme of um, powerful women. Yeah, I of think, course, so. that's one. Um, I am a big, big proponent of this individual, Midoriya May. Okay, because of all the things it is that I expressed earlier and everything, she is just resourceful. She's focused, and the thing about it is that makes it so, I don't know, just just awe-inspiring to me Mm -hmm. is the fact that she meets you on your terms very sparingly. You have to meet her on her terms. Who is this? Well, she's a very influential individual in this area. Oh, you can't say okay. Oh, yeah, of course. I definitely can, you know, so I'm pretty sure she would love that as a whole, but... um. She is um, America's next um, top model, uh, participant, contestant, actually one of the finalists and everything on the show for the AW15 series. So that's season 15, I believe, on the show. So she's a brand ambassador for a couple of different brands as it is right now. So the um, lead curation director, media content creator and everything for iFashion Magazine as well, too. But yeah, uh, outstanding. So outstanding. But the thing that really resonates with me with her is that you meet her on her plane of existence. Interesting. You know? You meet her at her level. She demands it. She commands a certain presence in the room at all times, whether she speaks or not, you know? And it's everything that resonates with me as a professional because it forces you to buck convention and to ascend, you know? To be able to push your own limitations, mm. you know, thinking outside the box is a necessity when you approach said individual, you know, and even the people that is, she come, she surrounds like, herself. With. Like when you interact with her, you kind of feel like you have to think at a different level or something. You most definitely do. It's interesting. Yeah. You know? But you are also very aware and everything that she's at least three or four steps ahead of you. I've seen it in practice, you know, now specifically with me and everything, we share a lot of mentalities, you know, so I have never intimately experienced that, but I've seen it in practice, you know, she is dynamic. Now, yes. Yeah. Sit where you are. I'm just All pushing right. close to your face. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. I think moves. Uh, so you can't say her name? Midoriya May. Okay. I thought you did it. I, I thought yeah. you were like hiding it. I missed it. Oh no, no. Midoriya, Midoriya May. May. Oh, yep. Interesting. So, and in front of a camera, she is unparalleled. 
unparalleled. I have to look, look her up. I would hope so. If I had so. a screen here, I'd definitely pull it up like right here. It'd be so perfect. I, don't I know, right? When at that point, hey, for the future. Hey, for the, future, the future, I'm going to have like my own person, man, the cameras. Each will have her own camera looking at us. It'll be cool. I can dig it. One day, so, but. But that's the thing. Putting her in a suit, she's not defined by what it is that she wears. What it is that I would have to create for her would have to compliment. So, so have you created for her? Um, no, I have not just yet. It takes time to do what it, and that's the other thing about our industry too. It takes about eight weeks on average to be able to create a garment. That's another thing that you have to understand and everything about our industry too, is that you'll be coming into my shop to get a garment and everything that you're going to be wearing for the next season most of the time. It takes a certain level of forethought, you know? But you're going to pay yeah. a certain amount of money, which is not small, to not walk out of the store that day with anything. Wait two months, basically, to be able to get it, okay? And then address anything that is that you may want changed and everything about that garment at that point in time. So it takes a certain level of thinking, you know, and also takes a certain lifestyle, you know, to be able to buy into toilets. And you're paying for craftsmanship. You're paying for an experience. You're paying for detail and precision. And that's what it is you expect, Period. Dude, we've covered everything in more that I could that I even had written down. I'm not like looking at my DMs. I, I I've I've been trying to be better at researching and learning more about people. And so I just had so many things I wanted to touch on. We pretty much hit it. Is there anything else that you want to talk about? Well, I just want to express my appreciation for this platform, man. Oh yeah, hey, no problem. You man. know, like this is this is great. Like I actually like this a lot. Yeah, it's so, fun just to talk to people, huh? Yeah. How often do you actually sit down and just have a conversation with someone? You know, it's, it's, it's so not a thing now. I feel like more people should just reach out to people and be like, Hey, can I buy you coffee or buy you a drink and just talk? I want to pick your brain. Exactly. And for that intimacy, a lot of times you don't get that. Yeah. You know, we're in the age of social media. You don't get intimacy anymore. Dude. I mean, like I, it's, it's interesting because I approach interviews and stuff like this, like from a way where I don't expect anything. I, if, if, if someone comes on, I'm like grateful. I don't care if they rescheduled three or four times. I have an interview later today. The guy is rescheduled like four times. I feel no type of way. I'm just grateful for someone's time. Right. And like, I, I don't expect anything from anyone. Like, I think someone with the wrong intention could easily be like, let me get him on so I could shoot his suits and then ask these clients. Like, no, 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 Those, if when you approach things like that, that's, that's completely the wrong just thing. Just let it be completely organic. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I, it's like, dude, you blew my mind with stuff you said here today, man. So cool. It's, it was um, great having you on the show. If, if anyone listening, or uh, watching, wants to check you out, what should they do? If you ever want to check me out, you can go to GHT Greg Michael on uh, Instagram. You can also, of course, visit me in my shop at Stitched in the MGM National Harbor. Um, or just give me a call. You know, I'm very accessible. So I am a regular don't, guy. Don't, don't say your number out loud. Of course not. <laughs> of course not. <laughs> the internet's a crazy thing. The internet is a crazy thing. You know, <laughs> but I'm very accessible, guys. And not only that, I do like working with people, you know. Mm. My perspectives are not limited to anything, you mm-hmm. know. I am enriched by the experiences that is I have. I love personalities. Let's have a conversation, you know. I almost forgot, um, but at the end of the show, I'd like to just ask the guest, like, is there anything you want to say to someone who maybe is aspiring to, like, do what you do or aspiring to maybe express themselves fashion-wise or, mm-hmm. or you know, be as unique as you look, but maybe they feel suppressed about it. Is It doesn't have to be any of those things, but is there any, anything else maybe you want to throw out there? Grit. You can't teach grit. Your determination, okay, 
is extremely pitiful in your success, okay? Your only limitation is your mindset on a theme, mm-hmm. you know? You have to have personal sacrifice, truthfully. Personal sacrifice is critical to any type of success it is you're going to have, but understand that it, it, there's no way to circumvent it. There's no way to just skip over the hard parts of it. Employ true dedication in what it is that you're doing. Understand a thing. Know a thing before you jump out there. But don't be deterred by the enormity of the dream. You know? Don't have it be such a vast thought in your mind that's just so unapproachable and unattainable that you don't even take that first step. Like I said in the beginning of our podcast, I've lost more money in this business than I have ever gained up until this point. Someone might have given up there. Yes. And you just can't give up, you know? You have to have a plan, you know? And understand that your plan has to be malleable. But stay dedicated. Stay focused, you know? Understand that there's always light at the end of the tunnel, no matter what it is that you do. But those hardships are part of the journey, you know? Cool. Yeah. Great man. That's heavy, dude. Thank you, man. Sweet, dude. Well, hey, you guys heard it. Check him out. Um, and yeah, guys, that's it. That's, that's the it, angle. Man. Greg, thanks for coming on, man. My man, thank you so much, bro. Hey. So much, man. That's cool. Now I just got to shut this thing off. Yeah. Let's do it. <laughs> While you were saying that, I could literally hear the opera. Yeah. Did, did you hear no, that? Like, it was kind of, I was like, I was like, wow. I was like, I was like, this is like the end of a movie or something. Hey, man. Timeless. You know?